This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. If you want, I have a list here, and Matthew Collar joins us from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Quarterback rating rankings through the first three weeks of the season. Alex Smith is sizzling and (laughs) scintillating. He leads all quarterbacks in passer rating. Tom Brady, number two. Jared Goff, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, and Case Keenum (laughs) with a 101.8 passer rating so far this season. Am I supposed to react to that? You can speak now. Okay. Uh, Well. (laughs) Okay, that's it. Thanks, Matthew. Sunday was certainly something, wasn't it? Uh, Uh, Yes. Everything aligned for the Vikings to just beat the tar out of the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, on the offensive side, this Vikings defense has traditionally, under Mike Zimmer, been really good against deep passing offenses. They gave Cam Newton problems. They gave Carson Palmer problems. Anybody who's doing seven-step drops against Everson Griffin, Daniil Hunter, Linval Joseph usually ends up having problems, and this team can cover deep down the field. And we saw that with Jameis Winston. And they also confused Jameis Winston at times, that interception to Anderson Deho. I couldn't get an answer out of Harrison Smith what they did to confuse Winston there because I'm sure they're planning on doing it again from week to week. Uh, But it was pretty clear that he made the wrong read or the wide receiver made the wrong read and they end up with an interception. And that's just what Zimmer defenses do to offenses like that. And then with Case Keenum, every Tampa Bay player who's good got hurt. That's a literal statement. Every single good player. They started off without three starters. Right. That was just the start of the game. Grimes was out. He's one of their best players, one of the best corners in the league. So he's just not there. Yes. And then you have McCoy is playing hurt. He hadn't practiced that week and then I think was finally practicing on Friday. But he had an ankle injury, and he was still okay, but he was slowed down significantly. Levante David is one of the better outside linebackers in the league. He got hurt midway through the game. Middle linebacker was out to start with. Right. Quan Alexander, one of the fastest linebackers in the NFL, he was out to start the game. And then Noah Spence got hurt, too. He had five and a half sacks last year as an edge rusher. So they had plenty of time to drop back and hold the ball for three seconds and wait for guys to go down the field. And the numbers of Case Keenum's past said when this guy actually gets a chance to drop back and huck it, he can. I mean, he is an NFL starting quarterback, a a bottom-tier one, but maybe he's the 29th best quarterback in the league, which means if you give him all day against backup corners and backup linebackers and backup defensive linemen, that he's going to be able to light it up. And that's what happened. From week to week, that is not anywhere near the results that you should expect from Case Keenum. So when can we expect Bradford back now that that it looks like the Vikings – sent him for the second opinion. He got it. 
Andrew said there's nothing structurally wrong. And then Zim had that sort of weird quote yesterday about, yeah, Sam's back, and we just had a nice, relaxed chat today. I mean, I, there's no there's no way that this guy plays <laughs> on Sunday, mean? right? It was very bizarre. The quote itself is like, yeah, we just had a nice, relaxed, as I don't know if that's to say that I'm that Zim is now accepting that moving at Sam's speed means when Sam thinks he, he can come back, he can come back. But I got to think that we're we're looking at at least another game, if not two, at Case Keenum. I would expect, which takes us to the four games we talked about. Yeah, before. I would expect Case Keenum starts this week, and and then we'll see. I mean, it's really hard to tell when they've been so quiet about this injury. I mean, against Pittsburgh, they're saying, oh, well, he might be able to play, and they're splitting reps in practice, and then he's on the field warming up. And then the way that Mike Zimmer talked about last week was that Case Keenum was taking the first team reps the entire week, and that's one of the things that helped him perform so well against the Bucks. So they clearly knew from the very start that Sam Bradford was not going to play quarterback last week, and where he is now is really hard to figure out. But I would expect that we see Case Keenum again against the Detroit Lions. And the intrigue uh, increased, I think it was yesterday, Jay Glazer came in with a report that Bradford had actually sort of begged to play, that he, that he had gone to Zim and said, let me play against Tampa. And they're like, no, no, no. So this whole thing is bizarre. The, o- the only thing that I can figure is that Bradford's knee hurts, and it hurts him enough to think that he can't play and the Vikings keep saying there's nothing structurally wrong, so just play. And so you, you, you've got this, well, I'm in the last year of my contract, and I have to protect myself, which I get. And the Vikings probably saying, well, but you're our quarterback, and if there's nothing structurally wrong with the knee and it's pain, it's pain tolerance. And if he suffers any sort of further injury and he has to miss the rest of the season or something like that, yeah. the team would want to be as cautious as possible with bringing him back. And they probably felt like they could beat Tampa Bay. When they were looking at Tampa Bay on tape from last year and what they did against Chicago and looking at how many injuries they had and how confident they would have been on defense, they probably thought, yeah, this is a guy in Case Keenum that generally beats this team especially. All of his best games seem to come against Tampa Bay. They would have felt confident in that. As far as where we go from here, yeah, I I have no idea whether it's going to be a pain tolerance thing or a swelling thing or or how well he can move thing. Detroit still doesn't have an impressive defense. Surprising to me that they did almost nothing this offseason to improve. So Darius Slay is a good corner, and past that, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, they they just really don't have a ton of talent. So if you have to run Keenum again, you feel fairly confident in him, but you're also not going to get Sam Bradford killed. There's no Vaughn Miller here that's going to be coming off the edge uh, crushing Bradford week after week. So if he is a little sore, he probably still uh, would feel confident in playing. And now b- behind an offensive line that isn't a disaster. So what, what does it say, Matthew Collar? You've had you've had two career performances now. Week one, Sam Bradford, and week three, Case Keenum. Career best performances. What, what do those performances, what does that say about Pat Shermer as an offensive coordinator? And let me throw two other names in here, too. Wide receivers Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, who look like guys that can maybe even elevate the play of a quarterback when mm-hmm. 80% of the time I feel like it's the other way around. But they might fit into that category of you, you can put a pass in a tight window and rely on Stefan Diggs to still make the catch. 
Yeah. What does it say about those those entities? I think I recall someone getting really upset on Twitter.com when I said in the offseason that Thielen and Diggs are two top 20 wide receivers. Yeah, I said 15 and got the same blowback about uh, three or four weeks ago. Uh, I think they're showing it. I mean, last year when I went back and watched the season on tape and when you looked at the numbers, Adam Thielen was second in the NFL last year, only behind Julio Jones in yards per target. So when they threw his way, they gained as many yards as Atlanta did when they threw toward Julio Jones. And he has an unbelievable ability to adapt to the ball in the air. Diggs, as you're seeing, I mean, we talk about him as a fifth-round draft pick, so it's almost like, oh, well, look, I mean, they've gotten way more out of this guy. At Once upon a time, he was a five-star recruit, and he ran a 4-4-40 or whatever. I mean, these are these are really talented wide receivers, and Keenum showed on Sunday that you can throw it to them 50-50 balls, and they come down with it more than 50% of the time. I mean, the touchdown catch to Diggs, it got kind of lost in his big, long touchdown and his 47-yard catch. He just climbed up a guy and caught the ball, and that was the second time he's done that this year for a touchdown. You can throw it almost anywhere, and if it's in these guys' range, they can catch it. That helps both of these quarterbacks. But I think it's a it's an accumulation of everything. It's Delvin Cook has played a huge role in why they're so good. I mean, I was looking at the next-gen stats last night. These are, NFL produces these things, and they're mostly useless but kind of cool. But what I did notice is they chart everywhere Delvin Cook has run. They've mostly pounded the guy up the middle. They've forced teams to actually think about the run up the middle having success, which is something they did not have to think about at all last year. And then the offensive line has been competent. I mean, having two games where your quarterback didn't get hit at all out of three is not something we saw last year, no matter how poor the other team's defense was. Pro football focus on Dalvin Cook. Broke six tackles on Sunday, boys. 82 of his 97 rushing yards came after he was initially hit. Let's come back and talk more about Dalvin Cook, because you're seeing Dalvin Cook and Kareem Hunt in their first five minutes in the NFL already among the top yards from scrimmage guys. So how early is it too early to say, yep, okay, uh, that was a successful draft pick, and he's one of the top five or ten running backs in the league. Let's speculate when we come back here. Mackie and Joe with Matthew Collar talking Vikes. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Touch em All podcast. I do think that if you're going to be pessimistic about this year and you're going to be disappointed, I understand that. I, In fact, I, I empathize with that. But the nice thing for the Twins is, no matter what happens the rest of the way, mm-hmm. A, you're, you've challenged your front office now to be extra motivated to improve the club this winter, which they weren't challenged to do last year, I might add. And once you do have that sort of precedent of, oh, we got a good team, now we got to add to it, we're going to the postseason, that's an encouraging thing. And you've got the young players that are still cost-controlled. You can afford to go out and spend some money. You've got a core of a team in place here that should be competitive for the next four or five years at least. And I think if you're looking for a silver lining, like that's at least one thing to hang your hat on if you're a Twins fan. That's all gravy. Just have fun with it, Wetmore. You can find the Touch em All podcast on 1500ESPN.com's podcast page or on iTunes. All you guys. It's oh. all you guys. Every week you change your minds. All Phil and I do is stay consistent. Well, yeah, con- I mean, con- why consistently would it, mediocre? Yeah. Well, why would anyone question when you have your starting quarterback go down and then you lose by a couple of scores to Pittsburgh? Why would anyone question Case Keenum? You know, it, benched for Jared Goff last. It helps when you have these like questionable quarterbacks. Case Keenum and Sam Bradford, I think, is a step up from Case Keenum for sure. And I don't think there's any doubt that he's the better quarterback when healthy. 
But the insulation, if the offensive line isn't terrible, and we already talked about Diggs and Thielen, and now you have an every-down running back in Dalvin Cook, who's third in the NFL after three weeks in yards from scrimmage. Kareem Hunt is miles clear of everyone. The guy's got 538 yards from scrimmage after three games. And then it goes Todd Gurley and Dalvin Cook. The eye test says he's legit. Everything that everyone saw in the offseason workouts and training camp says he's legit. So is it too early to say that he's just one of the top five or ten running backs in the league now? Uh, All purpose? I mean, three games is a little early for that. But our sample size kind of goes back to training camp and preseason. I mean, I wrote the story before the beginning of the season on just how blown away everyone was by Delvin Cook. And I, I wasn't just trying to hype the guy up. That's what everyone was saying to me was like, you don't understand. This is really something special here. And if you watch some of those runs against Tampa Bay, you can't take this guy down. I mean, he's just plowing through people, carrying people for three, four extra yards. He's laying blocks. That was the thing. Can he pass protect? Yeah, he could pass protect. <laughs> and it says something about his intelligence that he had not pass protected before really in Florida State. It was the big knock on him. Well, he's never really done it, and when he did, he wasn't very good at it at Florida State. And he worked incredibly hard at it through training camp, and we've seen through these first three games, he's good at it. There was a time where he, in that game, had to block Gerald McCoy coming through, and he took care of him. I mean, he's already powerful and strong, has a low center of gravity, all those things. And so he's got the physical skill to do it, but it's putting in that effort to learn how to do it. Well, you're also putting on your plate learning an NFL offense for the first time, and he just seamlessly stepped in and said, Latavius, who? Who did we sign? Did we sign someone? Because I thought I was the only one getting snaps. Latavius is going to get, he's going to be third in line in snaps. Mm -hmm. Third in line, or at least in touches, between when you put Jarek McKinnon in there. Yeah, and I... They, they still have room throughout the season, long years. Sure, so they, injuries, got, what they have. They've got room to use McKinnon in different ways, and I think that along the way they probably will. But I don't think you ever go into a draft without a first-round pick and think, we're going to get basically a franchise player coming out of this draft. You think, maybe we'll get a starter, maybe someone can help us out. You never expect to get a franchise player, and I, I think that that's what Delvin Cook really is. I mean, if you look at his skill set and what he could continue to be and what you've seen through these first three games, he, he does everything. He can finish the game. I mean, they get up in these games, and it's like, all right, well, they're just going to pound out Cook, and he's going to get first downs, and he's going to get big plays out of the backfield in the passing game, and, and he can just do it all. And that is something that you haven't seen here in Minnesota probably since what Robert Smith. Well, three down back. No, I mean it's it's been yeah. a really long, it's been a really and long even, time. Even Robert Smith that. was not the pass catcher that maybe we think back when we when we you know when we uh, romanticize about the '90s Vikings. They had other third down backs that they used, mm-hmm. and so I, I would say Chester Taylor for five minutes. He was here for a couple of years. Was kind of an all-purpose back, but not like this. I mean, that he, he's not this good yeah. as we've seen with Dalvin Cook. It's, it's a rare talent, and it's given a dimension to this offense that was missing big time. I mean, oh Toby Gerhardt too. I forgot about oh, him. Oh yes, yeah, that's, that's a good Gerhardt. reason why. Yeah, when he was I, really uh, good. I mean, when I did that piece running the numbers on how many points they lost because of being the worst running team in the league over a season, it was about sixty points. Well, this year they're probably going to be one of the above-average running teams in the mm-hmm. league. And this also gives you now the, the possibility and potential to what? To pass the ball more, to go deep. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this offense, as, as we talked about on the Purple Podcast on Sunday, Collar, this offense now makes sense. A year ago, we'd sit in the press box and be like, what is this? What are they doing? 
This now makes sense. That a press box brag right there. And I can, well, okay, we'd sit watching the <laughs> Dave game. Dave says, yeah, that was a press box brag. It was not a press brag. Bo- box brag. <laughs> I'm just saying we'd sit by each other and we'd be like, what are they doing? There's now, now you watch it and you go, uh-huh, this makes it. There, there are years where Viking fans grew to despise the West Coast offense, and rightfully so, because when it's not run correctly, it ain't very attractive. It's short passes. It doesn't do a lot. But when you run it correctly, this is what you have the potential to do. And my contention is a lot of this starts with Cook because of the fact that he is a West Coast running back. And the issue is that even on his best day, Adrian was not that. If you think about the great West Coast offenses, I mean, even Philadelphia with Donovan McNabb. I mean, they had what? Brian Westbrook was in the backfield. Absolutely. Totally underrated player during his time. Uh, Ronnie Lott, and the sort of the semi-original. I mean, it originates with the Cincinnati Bengals way back Roger when. Roger Craig, but, you're talking about. Roger Craig. Oh, I said Ronnie Lott. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ronnie, Ro- Roger but, Craig. Right? But if Ronnie Lott if it was Man, a running he back, he'd be good really good, too. Back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He would have lopped yeah, yeah. off his whole hand to play. <laughs> yeah, right. Instead of just a finger, top of the finger. But the, the, the thing about the West Coast offense that's a little bit of a misnomer is that it's all short passes. The, the West Coast offense is Absolutely. set up to throw deep passes, but everything else is underneath. There's always a deep option. <laughs> Depending on the read, depending on the time, that's supposed to be your first look is to go deep, but then it's just how it's covered. So if they've got someone over the top, what it's supposed to do is kind of do that, take the top off the defense, you force the other team to focus on that deep route, and then you can dump off underneath. And against Tampa Bay, when you have all that time to sit back there and wait for those deep routes to develop, well, you're going to be able to to throw it up there and hit him. I mean, Case Keenum, some of those deep balls were just like, huck it up and see what happens, right? Throw it as high as you possibly Randall can. Randall Cunningham circa 1998, and I'm not kidding yeah, Cunningham guys. would, like, close his eyes and cock back and just <laughs> yeah. throw it as high and as it far as he like could. It looks like a punt. Yes, it and there's Randy up. Moss in four yep. defenders and out jumping, yes. And, and so this is how it's supposed to look with the West Coast offense when you design it, is that you have a running back who's – like Roger Craig coming out of the backfield or Brian Westbrook or Kareem Hunt right now. I mean, this is what Andy Reid runs a form of the West Coast offense. And Alex Smith has been criticized for being uh, way too conservative with the short passes. But through a couple of these games with Smith, one of the reasons he's done so well is he's been a little more uh, aggressive in going down the field and had some success there. Maybe he's afraid that Patrick Mahomes is going to take his job or that, something. That would right? help when your replacement sitting down uh you know down 5 feet down the bench from you. Cut I guess cut it loose because what else do you have to lose at that point? Yeah. And and the, the whole thing it all starts with Delvin Cook's success too. It starts with really good offensive line performances in two out of these three games. Uh my biggest pet peeve and I I found the evidence to 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 make this a truth. My biggest pet peeve last year with the Vikings they had they had weapons. It wasn't Dalvin Cook wasn't on the roster, but but Thielen was a weapon and Stefan Diggs was a weapon. And your two your three most targeted players in terms of targeted uh, pass attempts or just handoffs were Matt Asiata, Kyle yeah. Rudolph, and Jarek McKinnon. And, and and I'm sitting there watching these games, thinking find better ways to get the ball to the guys who can actually make plays and break big runs and score mm-hmm. touchdowns. And so, and Kyle Rudolph, more of a safety blanket. He's he's not a yards after the catch guy, but he was your single most targeted aerial threat last year. Yeah. So far through three games, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen both have more than twice as many targets as Kyle Rudolph, and Dalvin Cook has been about the only guy who's taken handoffs. Mm-hmm. He has 61 carries, and the next closest is Jarek McKinnon with eight. 
with eight. And so they've identified their three most skilled position players uh, or, or best skill position players. And they've said, you guys need the ball. And I hope they keep doing that for, for the sake of the offense. Because if you, if you start to let the non-explosive players leak in there with targets and touches, it's just not going to, it's not going to result in big plays. I mean, right now you almost have so much talent at the skill positions that you can't mess it up. Uh, with Kyle Rudolph, he was the safety blanket for Sam Bradford. And I think Bradford got hit a bunch of times, and the offensive line was so poor that he was very skittish within the pocket and didn't feel like he could move within the pocket or be aggressive or keep his eyes downfield as it was in a big third down situation or something like that. So as soon as he didn't see his first read, it was immediately check it down to Kyle Rudolph or check it down to Jarek McKinnon. And this time around, through three games, we've seen uh, both Keenum and Sam Bradford be able to go to their first option many times. And that's a a product of having a lot of time to throw. Now what we have to figure out is whether they'll be able to do this over 16 games because two out of the three defenses that they've lit up have just been one had no players and the other one is a complete abomination in in New Orleans that got lit up for 450 but, by Tom Brady the next week. But the idea is at least right now. That's what I like. Yes, I agree. You might not have the exact same success week after week after week, but at least if you go in with a coherent game plan and and your personnel is used correctly, that's a good start. Yeah, and imagine that you just took this offensive roster and just took position by position and said, great, competent, terrible. And how many last year were (laughs) terrible? On the offensive line specifically, at least the tackles were just not playable. And right now, I think almost every player falls into the category of competent or really, really good. Mm -hmm. And when you surround even decent quarterbacks with that, they can succeed. I mean, in the break, we were talking a little bit about Flacco and Dalton. Yeah, Flacco and Dalton. And, I mean, Flacco may be just shot. I, I think he's had back injuries and things like that. But Andy Dalton had one or two really good years. Is he different now, or is it the, the team is a lot different around him? When you, when you give him an offensive line and two starting caliber running backs and A.J. Green and Mohamed Sanu with great hands and uh, Tyler Eifert catching passes at tight end. is gone. Yeah. Well, but, that but, line's but like, not good. Right. Yeah. But, the, but the point is, when he had right. the best left sure. tackle or yeah. second best left tackle then in you're the, in be the able NFL. To and, correct. And, yeah. and it's no surprise either that Jared Goff looks a lot better when Andrew Whitworth is blocking his, his backside. I don't get how he got there. I mean, I, so now it's just when Sam Bradford comes back, how does this look against teams that are a little better on defense? Mm-hmm. How do opponents adjust to what they have? But the thing with Delvin Cook is you see this with Ezekiel Elliott too. I don't think there's any adjusting to players like that. Like I don't think that there's anything you can Get do. Get out of his way next time, maybe. Just don't <laughs> bother mean, trying to bring him down because he's going to beat you he, up. He he really did beat up Tampa Bay. But but there, like with Ezekiel Elliott, they run the most simple running offense. They don't do any tricks. They just have Zach Martin and Travis Frederick and their great offensive line just do zone runs and he runs in the big gaps and then shreds tackles at the second level and that's the whole running game. There's nothing to it. When they line up, I remember this from when the Vikings played Dallas. When they line up to run the ball, you know it from the press box. You're like, oh, they're going to run it. Probably you know, probably this direction because that's where the tight end is lined up. And they do it and they gain seven yards. Yeah. And part of that's their offensive line. But part of that also is Delvin Cook, or, or Ezekiel Elliott is so difficult to bring down. Delvin Cook has a lot of that too. So that's a weapon right there that you can't just scheme to stop, really. 
And that that's something that is completely different from last year's offense. Matthew Collar in here talking Vikings. We have our peck, our pigskin pecking order at 10 o'clock. Dan Gladden on Twins at 1130. And uh, we didn't do football observations yesterday because we were all in on the, uh, the protests over the weekend and taking your calls. We'll do our football observations at 11. You can check out the Purple Podcast, too, if you want more um, football-y McFootball takes. Football. From Collar and Judd. Back with more Purple discussion next. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Scoop podcast with Doogie. Twins Hall of Famer, Tori Hunter. Could you have come close to 13.85 seconds on an inside-the-park home run? Hell to the no. No <laughs> chance. <laughs> no chance. I mean, Buston, his speed is world-class. There's not too many people in the world that probably can beat him running. Are you like a proud papa, Tori? You know, seeing him now I, succeed at the plate? Man, I'm, I'm a proud papa in many ways. Man, I just watching him. You know, and, and, you know, giving my input and my imparting to him, and I'm pretty sure he had, like, Doug McCavage, and everybody's had imparted in that young kid or giving them different things in, in different situations. But I have a lot of guys in the major leagues that I'm proud of, Matt, uh, Matt Carpenter, you know, Matt Kemp, and Trout, all these guys that I've been parted in. I am a proud big brother or a papa because Buster can't get, be my son, by the way. You can find the Scoop podcast on the 1500ESPN.com podcast page, or on iTunes, or really wherever you get your podcasts. I think they're, they're executing. I think they're, um, you know, I think the, the plans that they have each week is very good. Um, but, you know, it's three weeks, so we typically don't look at stats until Thanksgiving. So we still got a long way to go, but it's great. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that that they're executing. They're putting points on the board. You know, a lot of things we worked on in the off season. Mike Zimmer talking football. That made me think of just Zimmer. Like everyone's having Thanksgiving meals. They're going home with their family, and he's like, "It's Thanksgiving. Time to look at the stats. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, reams and reams stats, of statistics. Right? <laughs> he just got piles of them in his office. He's going through one by one. His eye hurts, but he doesn't care. He does, he's just he's staring at all of the light just just to prove a point. Well, actually, they play on Thanksgiving again. Yeah, that's it's pretty rare to go back to back, right? Same matchup. Yeah, has that how long? How long has it been since that's happened? I don't know. I mean, it's been pro- probably since they. Well, the Lions used to play the Packers on a yearly basis a long time ago. Okay, but since they started to mix up the opponents, I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah. So this is a Thanksgiving preview on Sunday. A f- Feast of football. So does he look at the stats before that game or after that game? Because he said until Thanksgiving. Well, he's probably going to be confused because he probably spends Thanksgiving Day doing it, but he can't now for a second consecutive year. So my guess is he'll wait till the Saturday after yeah. and then just, Football's eat, mysteries. Then just eat the reams of paper <laughs> with all the stats on Pour some gravy on them. Oh, this Delvin Cook stat was tasty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a big story that Matthew wrote. You can find it on 1500ESPN.com's just the, the featured link there. Uh, like, just give us your thoughts on the Teddy Bridgewater report that came out over the weekend that he's going to be, quote, ready to go after the six weeks on the pup list. Ready to go, meaning practice, meaning play. I would be shocked if it's play. Right I would away. assume that it means practice. And when he'll be able to play is tough because doesn't he have to show in practice that he can do all the football things that would happen in a real game so you could trust him to actually play? And his return, combined with what's going on with Sam Bradford's knee and not quite being sure when he's going to return or if that's going to be a persisting issue, 
along with the fact that this team is 2-1 and one and has looked pretty good on offense, on defense, they look like a strong contending team, and the Packers have had every player hurt, not named Aaron Rodgers, and Detroit is still Detroit, so I don't think that they're that great. The Bears are clearly not that great, so you're going to be in the race, or you expect to be, but then there's this looming Teddy Bridgewater issue where you could see it playing out any number of ways. You could see them trying to be patient with bringing Bridgewater back if Bradford is out for a while, but Case Keenum not performing like he did on Sunday and them wanting to push Bridgewater back into the game. Or you could see Bradford coming back and he's fine and he plays well and Bridgewater never sees the field and then we don't know what happens after that. There are so many different scenarios that could play out with Teddy Bridgewater and a lot of moving parts here. And Sam Bradford's knee just adds another element to that of us not knowing if, when, how Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> is going to be able to return. I'm getting the impression here, not surprisingly, that there's agendas at work as well. Because I think there's people, the Bradford thing, I think, is of major concern to the franchise because there's no way if they deem that the guy is going to have continual pain in that knee, which this just might be, that you're going to sign him again, right? So now you're now you're defaulting to, we want to win as much as possible in 2017, but we also want to see Teddy if we can. And it's just interesting that we get various, it seems like every other week or more than that, we get the various Teddy leaks coming out about mm-hmm. he's here, he's there. Uh, it's all sort of, it's all not really certain. Can you practice? Are we t- talking about playing? But it does seem like there's agendas at work here as this team tries to f- figure out who who's going to be its quarterback beyond 2017. I think the hardest long-term decision would be if there's still uncertainty week to week about Bradford's knee. And yep. if you think it's just something that it's, it's, it's not traced to him taking a specific hit. It's just lingering ACL surgery mess. But it doesn't really require surgery. If you had to make a decision on him and you haven't seen Teddy Bridgewater play in an NFL game yet at the end of the year, that would be a really difficult decision. I was trying to think about last night. What would be the best case scenario for all of this? And I think it's probably that you're in the playoffs, you've locked it all up, and then you can play Teddy Bridgewater in Week 17 and get some sense of how he looks going into the offseason so you know which way you want to go. But if... The thing is that if Bradford, even in the best case scenario, if they're so good that they've locked up a playoff spot. And he's the main reason why. Then Sam Bradford has played really well, and you might be considering signing him long term. The thing that I think might end up playing out here is that they franchise tag Sam Bradford and then see how they both look in training camp and go from there. We know there will be somebody ready to trade for a quarterback, even late because the Vikings didn't, and so did the Colts, Jacoby Brissett. They they traded for him for that, New England and of course, really late. The problem is, I mean, the problem is relative, because this is the first world of all first world problems. When's the last time a, a starting quarterback was franchised and didn't raise a huge stink about it? Even though you're you're guaranteed $25 million or whatever it's going to be going into next year, Collar, Bradford would make a big deal out of it. Your scenario would be, best case, not going to happen. Yeah, this it's pretty, league, it's pretty unlikely, Phil, yeah. Phil's right. And, hey, listen, one of the reasons why I think beyond a shadow of a doubt that Sam Bradford's not playing right now is because he doesn't have a contract beyond this year, and he has rightfully so concern for his knee, which hurts. Uh, so I don't think the the uh, the Condon-Bradford camp is now going to come back and say, oh, that's fine, we'll take a, we'd love a franchise tag for one year. They're going to say Sam sat out so he could get that knee right. Sam wants security. 
if they try to do what you're talking about, it's going to blow up. It might you might be able to do it, but it's going to blow up. It's going to get me- messy. And what we're also uh, forgetting at this time is that Bridgewater, if he plays, you got to negotiate a contract with him because you didn't pick up the option on his fifth year. I think no matter what, this is going to get. This has the potential to get messy. Doesn't mean it can't be solved, but it has that potential. Well, and Brad or Bridgewater's contract does have trickiness here because, according to the CBA. It should toll his contract to next year. He should be under contract next year at like $2 million cap hit. But if he files a grievance saying that they intentionally put him on the pup list, even though he probably could have come back earlier, saying that they went out of their way to do that to try and toll his contract, well, they might win that. And that might mean that he becomes a free agent. And then someone just signs him, the Dolphins or someone, right? Just Absolutely. Just straight up signs him, and you just lose Teddy Bridgewater, and then you have to keep Sam Bradford either to a long-term contract or a franchise deal. So that makes it really tricky because if if Bridgewater could prove that he's 100% back, maybe you do just negotiate a new contract with him and say, don't worry about the whole toll thing or, or anything like that. But how can you really be sure after what he went through yeah. that you can put him back under center as your franchise quarterback and let Sam Bradford walk? And because it's the Vikings, like, pick the worst possible scenario, and that's <laughs> probably what's going to happen if history is any indication. So uh, Purple Podcast, you can check it out multiple times a week on iTunes or pretty much anywhere you would download podcasts. You can find Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad. And then uh, go check out Matthew's content on 1500ESPN.com. All right, go back to the film room. Go what Crunch. Oh, films out today. Football. Oh, more football. All 22. It's a film day. Go Crunch. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.